Amen. I trust if the Spirit of God has never touched you, that this morning, as His Spirit moves upon your heart, that you will be obedient to whatever it is the Spirit is leading you this morning. You have your Bibles turned to Matthew chapter 25. We're in a series that we've entitled The Faithful Bride. This is one of those controversial topics because many people have their own ideas about what the bride of Christ will be, or should I say, who the bride of Christ will be. You know, but uh, I want us to look at this. We're on our fourth lesson of the bride of Christ. Now, when we're looking at the steps of the Jewish wedding, you know, it's important to understand that because I believe the coming of Jesus Christ to take his bride is going to parallel, you know, with that of the Jewish wedding, you know, during the days of our Lord. Now, to bring us up to par where we're at thus far, first of all, we looked at the selection of the bride. That was the first thing involved in uh, the, the, the Jewish wedding. The second thing was the price of the bride was paid. You remember that Jesus Christ paid the price of the bride by giving his own life on the cross at Mount Calvary. The third thing was the betrothal and the ketchabah. You know, that was the third thing. Uh, you know, the, the betrothal, we're in the betrothal period with Jesus right now. The ketchabah is the word of God. The ketchabah was simply the contract uh, that the uh, the groom would give the uh, the father of the bride and say, "Here's what I promise, you know, for you, you know, to, as I'm uh, the husband of your wife." And folks, that's what the word of God is to us. It's our ketchabah, the promises of God to us. The fourth thing was the cup of the covenant. They would drink a glass of wine. You remember, you know, Jesus as he shared the wine with his disciples, he told them, "You know, I'll not take of the second." second cup until that day we are, are together in heaven we are waiting on that second cup at this time the gifts of the bride was next the the, the groomsman would give the bride a special gift in order that she would always remember uh you know that you know she was his let me get all this stuff situated here this morning uh okay that she was his and that the promise that he would come back and to receive her the the, the next thing was the uh, mikvah Mikvah is what we use uh, that, that uh, relates to the uh, baptism today. Mikvah was a ritual pool that the, the girl would go into, the uh, bride would go into to represent purity. The seventh thing was the departure of the groom. We looked at this last week, how the groom would go away for seven, uh, uh, I mean, for a year or more to prepare the place for his bride. The eighth thing was the consecration of the bride. While he was gone, the bride had to, you know, consecrate herself. In other words, set herself apart just for her groomsman to come back and get her. Uh, while he was away, she had to prepare her wedding garment. And we've seen in the book of the Revelation, chapter 19, that the righteousness of the saints is the wedding gown. So as we're righteous here on the earth, as we're obedient to God here on this earth, we are in essence preparing our wedding gown as a result of the righteous deeds that we do. The uh, ninth thing that we looked at last week was the return of the, bride, of the, the, the bridegroom. In other words, he would return to get his bride. Now, if you would, in Matthew chapter 25, let's look and see what Jesus had to say about this. He said, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be unlikened to ten virgins which took their lamp and went forth to meet the bridegroom. In other words, when the groom came, it was time for him to, uh, you know, pick her up. That was the, you know, night thing that we looked at here. When the groom, uh, bridegroom came unannounced, she had better be ready. Because when he comes, he's going to take his bride and he's leaving this earth. But same way here with this uh, uh, Jewish wedding. 
You know, uh, so he, he, uh, they took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Now I want you to notice they were all virgins, okay? They were, uh, okay, they were all virgins. We'll talk about that probably next week. And they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish virgins said to the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in uh, to the marriage, and the door was shut. And after also came the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore. Here's what Jesus was saying to us. Watch therefore, for you know not uh, neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. In other words, you have no idea when Jesus is going to come back for his bride, so we should always be prepared. Look, make no mistake about, mistake about it. He is returning for his bride. The question is, will you be ready or will you be caught looking for someone else to help you when your lamp is out of oil and you need more oil? You know, the question is not, will he return? The question is, when will he return? Folks, listen to me. I don't care how long you've heard it all your life. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back to rapture his church out of this old wicked world. And we had better be ready when he comes. Look, for those who don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to be left here on this earth for a seven-year tribulation period that's going to be pure hell here on this earth that you're going to have to deal with. For those of us who are saved, and we'll look at it here in just a moment, we're going to be brought out of this old world. We're going to be raptured up. But then we've got to stand before the beam of seat judgment of Christ to be judged for the things that we have done since we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Now, last week we ended with the midnight return of the groom to take his bride to the bridal chamber that he spent this year or more preparing. And we saw that when he returns, that shofar is going to sound, that, that trumpet, that shofar, is going to break the silence of the night, and there's going to be great shouting, there's going to be da great dancing in the street. Now, I know some of you are thinking when I say there's going to be great dancing in the street, Baptist dancing, God forbid. But let me tell you something, if your feet can't move now, you're going to be awful surprised when there's dancing in the street, when them feet go to moving, and you go to dancing, you're probably going to fall out with a heart attack, I don't know. No, you can't have a heart attack because you're going to be in a celestial body at that time. But there's going to be great dancing. There's going to be shouting. There's going to be dancing in the street. And I know, you know, some of you are saying, you know, well, we're, we're Baptists. Are we really going to do that? Let, here's my opinion. My opinion. There's two trash cans out there in the floor. You can throw it in there on your way out if you don't like this. But I think, listen, folks, once that trumpet sounds, once Jesus Christ comes back, that Baptist label will be laying on the floor just like our clothes will be laying on the floor. We're going to be people of God. We're going to be the church of Jesus Christ. So you won't be Baptist then, okay? You're, you're, you're free to dance. I'll give you permission to dance at that day, okay? Look at here. Just as the bride in the early days did not know when her groom would come for her, neither do we know the day or the hour. All we know, folks, is that Jesus Christ is coming. And when he does, 
Listen to me, there's no, going to be no time to make ready. You better be ready before that day comes. And when he does, preparation time is now. There is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the father can say to his son, son, go get your bride. Remember, even Jesus don't know what that day is. He, Jesus said himself, hey, no one knows the day or the hour, only the father which is in heaven. So at any time, God could look over at his son and say, go get your bride, bring her home. Her long await is done. Her wedding chamber is complete. And when that happens, Paul gave us some insight about what's going to happen in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when he said, for the Lord himself, talking about our bridegroom, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God. That's that shofar that would blow. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first, then we which are alive and remain, you know, are going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with Him. Are you ready? If that trumpet was to sound today, do you know without a doubt that you would leave this old wicked world? Look, a question asked to me by many is, you know, what's going to happen when Jesus does come take His bride? Will it all be over at that point? You know, will the world come to an end at that point? Will we, will we float around forever on clouds playing a harp all day long? Listen to me, the, question of those, or the answer to those questions is no. It's not going to be all over at that point. In fact, it's just beginning at that point. The world will not come to an end at that point. And I don't think we're going to float around on clouds playing harps all day because I doubt any of us in here even knows how to play a harp. Look here. What will happen next is the same thing that happened in the Jewish wedding. That being the tenth thing we're going to look at is the hoopah. The hoopah. Some call it chupa, but it's the same thing. Look, once that shofar sounds, the shouting begins, the dancing commences, the groom then snatches his bride, he whisks her away to the bridal chamber where the marriage would be consummated. Remember, at this time, we're only in the betrothal period with Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. The, the, the wedding has not been, or the marriage has not been consummated. It will not be consummated until he comes for us and takes us to our hoopah. Okay? Look, the, the second half of the ancient Jewish wedding was this hoopah. It's also called a home-taking. Now, when Jesus returns for his church, what's he going to do with us? Take us home. It's the hoopah, the home-taking, when Jesus takes his bride out of this world. Now, the original meaning of hoopah was a room or a covering. It was a, a canopy under which the bride and the groom, you know, stood during the Jewish wedding ceremony, and it symbolized God's presence. In other words, God was, you know, a, a, a present at this wedding. The home that was being established was being blessed by God. And it symbolized the groom's home and his, for his new bride. Now, the hoopah of ancient times was a temporary, special room built on the bridegroom's father's house. This wasn't to be the permanent dwelling for his bride. This was going to be the temporary special room in which he would con they would consummate the marriage. But the room would be eventually replaced by a bridal canopy in which, you know, would be the permanent home of the bride. You see, this hoopah symbolized the new home. It symbolized the new home to which the bridegroom would take his bride. 
Now, as stated a moment ago, the special room built on the groom's father's house was just a temporary place for the new couple until consummation of the marriage was complete and the wedding feast was over. You see, the bride and the groom were escorted to the bridal chamber where they would be alone for seven days. Now, once they were taken to the bridal chamber, they would be there for seven days. Now, understand this. Though the bride and the groom was escorted to the bridal chamber by the entire wedding party, only the bride was able to enter the bridal chamber. Only the bride. Look again at, at our verses here, verse 10 and 12, uh, through 12 here in Matthew 25. And while they went to buy, who went to buy? Those who were not ready. As they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in, him, well, went in with him to the marriage. Only the ones who were ready. And the, then, he says, the door was shut, and afterwards came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Again, these were virgins. These were virgins. But they was not being faithful to their groom. As we saw last week, those that were ready when the bridegroom came was the ones who made up the bride. And who are the ones that were ready? Those who had prepared their wedding garments. And what is the wedding garment for the bride of Christ? We saw in Revelation 19.8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And he says, the fine linen. In other words, the, bridal, uh, the bride's gown, the bride's attire, he said, is the righteousness of the saints. In other words, the right deeds of the saints. Those who are, uh, you know, are serving Jesus Christ, those who are obedient to Jesus Christ, those who are being faithful. You see, the wedding garment that you and I are preparing, folks, are the righteous acts that we involve ourselves in while we're here on this earth waiting for the return of our groom. And the Lord Jesus says, everyone, or excuse me, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is our bridegroom. Look, everyone who is saved, everyone who at one time in their life asked Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins, come into their heart, save their soul. Everyone who is saved will make it to heaven. But I firmly believe, and I'm going to show you evidence here in just a moment, I firmly believe that only the obedient will gain the right to be in the bride of Christ and enter with him into that bridal chamber. Let's not forget the first event following the rapture of the church is going to be the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5.10. I want, to, I want us to look at this Bema Seat Judgment of Christ and see what's going to happen. Now, as you're turning to uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, I want you to understand the Bema Seat Judgment is the next event following the rapture of the church. When the, rap, when the rapture takes place, everyone who is saved, everyone, those who are dead, those who are still alive, every person who knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, this is the next event on the prophetic calendar, is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is not a judgment to determine if you're lost or saved. You're saved or you wouldn't be there, okay, because this is taking place in heaven. This is following the rapture of the church. So if you're saved, you're going to be at this judgment. It's not a judgment, you know, of punishment. It's a judgment of rewards. In other words, you will be rewarded for your righteous acts, your righteous deeds, your obedience while you was here on this earth. Here's what Paul had to say. 
For we must all appear. Now, he's talking to Christians here, okay? He's writing to the church at Corinth. He, so he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in this body, okay? According to that he hath done, rather it be good or rather it be bad. So we are going to answer to Jesus Christ, those of us who are saved, we are going to answer to Jesus Christ for what we have done since we've been saved. Not what we did before salvation, but since we invited Jesus Christ, since we made that commitment to Him to be a child of His, we are going to have to answer for what we've done, whether it was good or whether it was bad. Again, this judgment is for believers only. It's going to take place in heaven immediately following the rapture. It's not a judgment to determine, uh, determine if we make it to heaven or not. If you're there, you've made it, okay? Now, here's how the judgment of the rewards is going to be carried out. Flip over back there to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see what's going to happen, you know, at this judgment and what, what is going to take place. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what Paul had to say to the church at Corinth in his first writing to them. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another man built thereupon. But ever, let every man take heed how he buildeth upon. Now the foundation he's talking about there is Jesus Christ as the foundation of our salvation. Listen, if you are building your hopes on getting to heaven, on any other foundation rather than Jesus Christ, that foundation will crumble. It will not hold up. And that's the foundation Paul is talking about here. Look, our foundation of our salvation must be built on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you try any other foundation, whether it's, you know, giving a lot of money to the church or, you know, being a nice neighbor, just being a good person, what we're told is that, will crumble so here's what he says but let every man take heed how he build for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid which is christ jesus now if any man build upon this foundation gold silver precious stone wood hay or stubble every man's works now remember this is at the beam of seat judgment of christ here's what he says every man's work shall be made manifest in other words it's going to be made known Everything that you've done, good or bad, since you invited Jesus Christ into your heart, is going to be made known at this Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. You know, sometimes we think, wow, I did that and nobody even seen it. Hogwash. Okay? Hogwash. East Texas. Paraphrase. It's being recorded. You know, I, I remember I used to preach this message and or, you know, one on the uh, Bema Seat Judgment of Christ, and I said, you know, God's got a big VHS recorder. You're recording everything we do. You know, then I had to change that to uh, DVD. You know, now it's a thumb drive. And, you know, there ain't no telling what he's recording it on nowadays, okay? But it's going to be made manifest everything we do, good or bad, as Christians, since we were saved. Now, let's read on there. Everyone's works, verse 13, shall be made manifest for that day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. Again, this is the Christians here. Everything we've done, 
what sort it is. If any man's work abideth which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. As it passes through the fire, if it comes out of the fire, he's going to receive a reward. I, I've got a weird mind, and I don't need no amens on that, okay? Uh, somebody told me this morning, well, was you told me you met somebody the other day, and when he asked who your pastor was, you know, what did he say? One of a kind. Now, what that means, I have no earthly idea. I probably don't know, want to know what that means. She don't even remember who it was. You know, I'm one of a kind. That's because I got this weird mind. And when I think of the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ, in order to understand it, here's what I have in my mind. I picture a big old furnace right in the middle. Because again, what's he say? Our, our work's going to be judged by fire. And I, I, I picture an angel over here on this side putting everything on this conveyor belt that's running through this big furnace. Everything I've done since I was saved. You know, all the messages I've preached, all the ministry I've done, all the foreign mission trips I've been on. Everything I have done is going to be placed on this conveyor belt. It's going to run through this furnace. Now, everything that Gene Hazel did for his own benefit, for his honor and glory. So people would look at me and say, wow, I wish I could be like that. Everything like that, folks, is wood, hay, and stubble. And when it passes through that furnace, it's going to be burned up. Now, again, I'm on the other end of this conveyor belt praying some of this stuff will go through. Now, everything that I have done, everything that I have done that I did out of a love for Christ, I did because this is what God has called me to do. That's built on gold, precious stone, and silver. And as it passes through that furnace and I'm standing here, it's going to come out. It's going to pass through that fire. And for those things, I'm going to be rewarded. I'm going to receive reward. In fact, there's five crowns we know for sure that's going to be given after this event. But I'm going to be rewarded. Now, let's read on in that scripture text. So if any man ab uh, works abide, in other words, they pass through this fire that he's built upon, he's going to receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned up, he shall suffer loss. For all that wood, hay, and stubble that passes through there and is burned up in that furnace, it doesn't matter, you know, how, how long I did it, how much I did. If it's gonna, he says, if it's burned up, you're going to suffer loss. But, look at this, he himself shall be saved, so is by fire. Now, an East Texas paraphrase would be, be this, he's going to make it by the skin of his teeth, Okay? So everything that you and I have done since the day we accepted Jesus Christ as far as service to God, as far as obedience to God, is going to pass through this fire. And we're going to either be rewarded, look at this, or we're going to suffer loss. Now that's not the loss of our salvation. That's the loss of some rights. That's the loss of some privileges. Look, the participants of this judgment, again, are members of the New Testament church, and these are people who have trusted Christ as their Savior from the day of Pentecost until the coming of Christ. It doesn't include the Old Testament saints. They'll have their own judgment. They'll have their own reward. But it's going to be a judgment of reward for our righteousness while we're here on this earth. 
for our obedience in serving Christ. And here, here, listen to this. Again, personal opinion here, two trash cans in the foyer. You know, I personally believe that one of those rewards is going to be the right, the right, not to just be in heaven, but I believe it's also going to be being a part of the bride of Christ and the right to enter that bridal chamber. If we haven't been faithful, we're going to lose that right. We're going to lose that privilege. Again, what's he say? But you're going to suffer loss if the things are burned up as they go through there. Now, we all are going to have some things that pass through the fire. Sometimes I wonder if I'm going to be standing at the other end of this conveyor belt and everything just poof, is gone. But I believe every person is going to receive something, something. I hope you are. Only you know. Think about this for just a moment. Would it be right? Would it be right for a person who was saved, but they never were obedient to Christ? They never made any effort to serve Christ. They never made any sacrifice to be faithful. Would it be right for them to be a part of the bride while there's others from the day they were saved, they were obedient to Christ? From the day they were saved, they made sacrifices, you know, for the gospel. They made sacrifices to serve Jesus Christ. They, you know, would it be right for these two people to receive the same reward? Would it be right? Now, I don't think so myself, personally. That's why I believe that some of the loss is going to be the right to be in the bride of Christ. Back again to our scripture in Matthew 25. You know, what is the connection with the five who entered the bridal chamber? Think about this. The five who were able to enter the bridal chamber, what is the connection with those five? Obedience. One word, obedience. They were obedient to what the groom told them. I'm going away. When I come back, you better have your gown ready. You better be ready to go. And what were they? They were obedient to that. What's the connection of the five that you know, were not allowed to enter the bridal chamber? Disobedience. Disobedience. They were not ready. They never kept their lamps burning. They never were obedient to what the groom had told them. Look, there's many within our churches who, because of obedience, they're keeping their lamps burning bright by exercising their spiritual gift by way of ministry. There are many also who, who though they're saved, they're not being obedient to God's call on their life, and their lamps are gone out because they refuse to exercise the spiritual gifts that God has given them to be at work within His church. They're not involved in any ministry whatsoever. They may attend church now and then, but can I tell you something? Attending church is not obedience to Christ. You say, well, wait a minute. The Bible says forsake not the assembly of yourselves together in the manner of some is. So I'm being obedient by... Is that the only thing you're being obedient to? Coming to church Easter and Christmas? I'm not talking to you because it's not Easter or Christmas and you're here. But do you see my point? Do you see my point? Just coming to church is not necessarily in and of itself obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ is serving Him, carrying out the, His call on our life. You say, well, I ain't got no call on my life. Yes, you do. If you're saved, you've got a call on your life. 
The question is, are you being obedient to that call? Look, yes, they're going to make it to heaven because one day they ask Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins and ask him into their heart. But on that day of the Bema Seat judgment of Christ, folks, they're going to suffer loss. Now, the spiritual parallel to Hoopah for the bride of Christ begins as we're lifted off of this earth and taken to our heavenly wedding chamber where we will spend one week, now don't miss this, one week or seven years with our bridegroom. Starting to ring a bell here, the seven-year period, okay? The seven-year period. You see, while the bride of Christ is in the bridal chamber with Jesus, the rest of the world will spend a time of seven years of great tribulation. And those who are saved, you know, but left out of the bridal chamber, you say, well, you know, if what you're saying is true, you know, that, you know, that, you know, some will be in the bride of Christ of the, and some will not. What's, what, what are the ones who were locked out going to be doing? You know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be guests at the wedding and they'll be busy preparing the marriage feast that will follow the seven days or in our case, the seven year so those who suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ, who do not gain the privilege of being in the bride of Christ, you're going to have to be busy you know, preparing the wedding feast. You're going to be cooking and washing dishes. and no, no, but you will be busy preparing the wedding feast so that when the seven years is over, then the wedding feast can begin because you will have had everything made ready. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. It gives us some detail of this time. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20. I'll give you a second to turn there. You know, I always love it when I tell you to turn to passages of Scripture and I don't see dust coming up. It means you at least turn your Bible pages some, okay? Here's what Isaiah says. Come, my people, enter our chambers and shut the door behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. Now, what Isaiah is talking about is we go into the bridal chamber, we shut the bridal chamber for a seven-year period. You know, when Jesus Christ comes out, what's he going to do? He's going to uh, punish the inhabitants of the earth. That's reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look, while the wrath of God is poured out on this earth, the bride of Christ will be hidden away with her bridegroom, you know, and then the next event following the seven days of Hoopah was the marriage supper, the marriage supper. You see, following the seven days uh, in the Hoopah, the, or the bridal chamber, the bride and the groom, they then join their gifts for a joyous marriage feast. It's going to be a Baptist fellowship like you ain't never seen before. They're going to have plenty of fried chicken, okay, and it, it mashed potatoes and gravy, and it, it's going to be something like you've never seen before. Y'all know I'm just joking about that. We can't eat that in heaven because it's bad for your health, okay? <laughs> Look here. <laughs> the playing of music, the dancing, that was a regular part of the celebration. The feast would be like none before. It's going to be like none before, folks. All the gifts, you know, in the Jewish wedding, they would celebrate and feast from the table that was set before them. And notice, as with any wedding, the bride, there was a bride, there was a groom, and there were guests. Any wedding you've ever been to, ain't that the way it was? You know, the, the, the bride would be on this side, the groom would be on this side, the guest would be out there. 
as they dismiss over into, in our case, the fellowship hall, the bride and the groom would be there, all the guests would be there. And folks, that's the way it's going to be, you know, uh, you know, on that day there. Now, Revelation chapter 19, turn over there. I would say this is the last time I'm going to have you turn, but it's not. I'll have you turn one more, but it'll be in the book of the Revelation too, so you won't have to flip too much. Revelation chapter 19, beginning with verse 6, says this. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and as the sound of many thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be uh, glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and her, his wife has made herself ready, and to, uh, to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen that she's going to be arrayed in is the righteous acts of the saints. Then, uh, then he said unto me, write this, he said, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings. Of God look when our bridegroom comes just like the ancient Jewish wedding there will be shouts of joy there will be dancing there will be feasting from a gray table that's going to be set and how exciting that's going to be folks I don't know about you but I'm waiting for that day that I can be married permanently to Jesus Christ Right now, I'm just in a betrothal period with him. And a betrothal period is simply an engagement period. Right now, he's gone away to prepare that new place for me. While he's gone, I have to be obedient to him. While he's gone, I have to be faithful to him. While he's gone, you know, I, I've got to be serving him. And so do you. Because he could come back at any minute. And take us away. And then we're going to stand before that Bema Seat judgment to be rewarded or lose some rewards. Now, I hope what I'm fixing to say doesn't sound selfish. But I want everything that Jesus Christ has for me. Everything he has for me, I want. For my own self-glory, no. No but that's so I can lay it back at his feet and give him the praise and the honor and the glory. Those who were saved but had not prepared their wedding gown, they'll make it to that celebration, that wedding celebration, but I believe they'll only make it as guests. The bride who will, the, will also, I think another privilege the bride will have, and that is to serve and reign or rule and reign with him during that seven-year tribulation or millennial kingdom here on this earth. And then he's going to take his bride to that permanent home that he went away years ago to prepare, the new city, Jerusalem. You remember Jesus said, you know, I go away to prepare a place for you, and if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto my own, that where I am, there you're going to be also. He was talking about the permanent dwelling of his bride that new city, Jerusalem. Have you made yourself ready 
Have you accepted his invitation from his Holy Spirit to come be a part of his church, to come be a part of his bride? Have you called on the Lord and Savior to be your Lord, your Savior? One more passage, and I promise I won't have you turn to another one. Revelation chapter 2. Just flip back there a little bit. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 17. Revelation 2, 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come. And whosoever desires, let him take of that water of life freely. Are you willing to come this morning? If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, are you willing to come? Again, what's he say? Let him who hears come. You've heard this morning. Let him who thirsts come. You know, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior spiritually, let me tell you something, you're thirsting. You're thirsting for that relationship with your very Creator. The question is, are you willing to come and take of that living water freely as he's wanting to give you this morning. Here in just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. And if you're here and you're thirsting for a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we stand here in just a moment, I'm going to ask that you just come on up. Let us tell you more about how you can enter that personal relationship with Jesus. If you're a child of God, then you say, you know what? <laughs> if that trumpet sounds tonight, at midnight, and I'm standing before that beam of seat judgment of Christ, and everything I've done since I've been saved is put on this conveyor belt, and I'm standing over here at the other end, what's going to come out? What is going to come out? Will I suffer loss? The loss of some crowns, the loss of some privileges, the loss of some rights to serve with Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to go back to Christ this morning. Recommit yourself to him. Not re-saved, be re-saved, you're saved. But maybe you just need to make a fresh commitment to him that you're going to begin today serving him in a way that's going to bring him honor and glory. Let's pray.